Well, welcome to Grace this morning. Happy Easter. I am thrilled that you are here. Today is the greatest day in human history. Now, that might sound crazy to some of you, but I'm going to see if I can substantiate that through the course of this message over the next few moments. But first, I want to ask you, what is your love limit? I've noticed that I have a a limit for people that it's, you know what I'm saying? It's and it's not all the same. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for some people, my love limit's like way down here. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And some people, it's like here. And some people, it's for some reason way up here. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Do you have that? Is that, don't you have that with people, certain people? And sometimes it's even the people who are closest to you that you would think, oh, well, I know them. I know them really, really well. They're a family member or whatever, but your, your love limit for them is way down here. So it's, it's, you know, it's just interesting. It's all over the place. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I had some guys say to me, says, Hey, listen, you got to go and hear this guy's story. He's a Vietnam vet. You got to go and hear this guy's story. He's got an incredible story. You would love to hear it. So I went out on a Sunday night to a church to to hear this guy. His name was Dave Reaver, his story. And he went off to the Vietnam War. He had just gotten married. He's really young. He's like in his 20s. And he goes off to the Vietnam War and all those experiences there, all those difficult experiences while he was there. And something really, really bad happened is that he had actually a phosphorus grenade in his hand and a sniper shot the grenade and it went off and it just burned his whole body. He barely, he barely survived. He was, he was on a river, on a boat. He jumps in the water. And of course, that doesn't do anything uh, to stop the phosphorus from burning. So he barely survives. He makes it to a hospital and he's on life support. Eventually he comes out of it. Eventually, you know, he's kind of waking up in who he is and he starts thinking. And then he asks somebody to give him a mirror. And they make the mistake of giving him a mirror. And he thinks, oh my gosh, I can't live like this. My wife will not love me. There's no way she's going to love me. He was burned just from head to toe. It just so bad. He was so remorseful about it. He was so distraught about it that that night he decided after thinking long and hard, he pulled out a tube that he thought was keeping him alive. And actually, because he wanted to die, actually he did not die. He just pulled out the feeding tube and he said, all I did was get hungry. So he, sur- he survived through the night. And then they, you know, they fly him back here to the States and he's in a, he's in a burn ward with other soldiers who have experienced the same thing and he's in a room and in the bed next to him is a guy who also had been severely burned just like him and they were told that your wives are coming for the first time to see you today and man he is just so the other wife actually came in first she looked at her husband laying in the bed next to dave looks at him walks straight over to him pulls off her wedding ring puts it on the bed said you'd be an embarrassment to be seen with and walks out Now, his wife is coming in next, and he is just freaked out. Well, there she appears. She's in the doorway. He sees her. Boom. With no hesitation, she comes straight to the bed, just like the other wife did. No, it's straight to the bed. She bends over, gives him a kiss, and says, welcome home, Davey. I love you. What is your love limit? We can't seem to find a love limit for Jesus. There doesn't seem to be a limit to his love. It seems very, very unlimited to us. And here's why today is so incredibly important. Like this whole weekend, Friday to today, Jesus on the cross is because what Christ demonstrated on the cross, he demonstrated what actually works in life. Like what really works. We all have opinions about what works. 
We all have certain beliefs about what works. But what Jesus Christ shows us on the cross, he proves it to us. What actually is going to work? What's going to lead us to the life that we really, really, really want? What is it? And on the cross is where Christ makes that like this exclamation moment of how we can live the life that we truly, truly want to live. Why is Easter the greatest day in human history? Because it radically changed our understanding. We are here today, whether you've been in church all your life, you've never been to church before. People come to church, believers and people who don't believe in Christ, people who believe that Jesus rose from the dead and people who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But we're all here, according to the data, for the same reason. We would like to have an encounter with God. We would like to experience life. Like we, would, we know there's more. There's more to life, and we want to experience it. And Jesus on the cross shows us how to experience that life that we want, and this is what we are after today. You can place your full trust. Let's look at the crosses here. You can place your your full trust in the cross of Christ. Now, I want to say something. The cross is historically true. It's scientifically true. It's biblically true. And you might be saying, whoa, 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 buddy. Back up, Jack. You can't, you can't prove that. I want to say today that you can place your entire full trust in the story of Easter, the cross and the resurrection. Now, now, before you get up and you walk out of the room and say, hey, man, there's just no way you can prove that from science or history and all that. I mean, you might be able to prove from the Bible, but you're not prove it otherwise. I just want just give me a few moments. I want to try to unpack this case, if you will. And I want to say this, that um, in the back of the seats, the seats in, uh, in front of you, there are these index cards. Because you might have a question throughout, throughout this message today, and you can just write your question down. We encourage questions. We love questions. Jesus loves questions. The Bible actually is trying to get us to ask questions. And so we encourage you. Write a question. Put it in the box on the way out. It says offering on it, right? But just put it in that box on the way out. We would love to have your questions, and then we will follow up with some responses, okay? You don't have to put your name on it. Just anonymous. Ask a question. And while I'm at it, one of the reasons those cards are there is we're starting a brand new series next week called Love is Blind. Has anybody heard of this Netflix series, Love is Blind? Love is, some of you have. I've talked to people like, well, I've never heard of this. It's, apparently it's the most famous, uh, you know, TV series, romance series out today. Love is, Love is Blind. And it, it, I didn't realize this, but we have some content experts on our staff. I didn't. <laughs> Yes, yes. And so they've given me the skinny on this thing. So next week we're starting a series called Love is Blind. And here's what. We want to get your questions about romance. And if you'll write your questions down in the third week of the series, we're just going to do this big Q&A, okay? We're going to, we're going to try to do some, some, some answers to those questions because we would love to hear your questions about that. And lastly, I will tell you this. You might have some questions today about this message uh, on Wednesday night. All the guys meet right here at 7 o'clock. All the guys, you're in a group, you're not in a group, doesn't matter. We just invite everybody. Everybody's welcome because we're going to have a presentation because a lot of what goes on today mirrors back to the beginning of the Bible and we want to discuss that. So you're all very, very welcome to be here. All right, Easter. Can, can it be proven to be true? Now, I don't, I don't blame you at all if you're like, well, I'm just not so sure. Somebody coming out of a grave, does that really happen? I don't blame you if you don't believe it because the story has become extremely muddled very muddled. And we're going to try to go back and look at what the Bible says about the resurrection and how that's relevant to our life, how we can actually live the life we've always wanted to live, how we can actually live a supercharged, fired up life. How can we do that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? I don't think that's the right question today. I think the right question today is this. Do you believe that love, not law, is the path to life? 
Do you believe that love, not law, is the path to life? That's the question to be answered today. Which is the path that leads to life? Now, what is the cross? Let's talk about this cross here for just a second. Okay, what is the cross, everybody? The cross is a, dev- a device of judgment. It's, it's, when you break somebody's law in Rome, right? When you break their law, they put you up on a cross. And so the deal is with Jesus is he broke the law. He didn't break the, the Roman law. He broke the religious law. So both church and state put Jesus Christ on the cross, right? So who represents the state? Pilate. Pilate represents Rome. He broke the laws of Rome. We're going to put you on a cross. All right, who, what, what's the church? It's Caiaphas, the high priest. You broke our law. We're going to put you on the cross. What do you do when you have opposing belief systems? What do you do when somebody is contradicting the way that you believe? Well, here's what the powerful do. And the most powerful then was the church in the state, Pilate and Caiaphas, and say, here's what we're going to do with you. We're going to put you on this cross. Now, their, their belief system... Their doctrine, their law, their theology was corrupt. It was wrong. It was bad. It was false. It, it wasn't, was, wasn't, wasn't good at all. What did Jesus do on the cross? I mean, this is his perfect moment to set the record straight. But what did Jesus Christ do on that cross? We all have a belief system. You might think, oh, you're talking about doctrine and theology and all this stuff. But, you know, I'm not into that stuff. Not into that stuff, John. And here's the deal. Every single person has a belief system. Every person has a belief system. Let me tell you a story. I was near, near our house. There, the bike path goes across this four-lane road. Uh, and so they have a light there just for people crossing that are walking or uh, on their bikes or rollerblades or whatever. Like, so they have, they have this light there. Okay, And so um, I roll up to the path one day, and there's this older gentleman. And even though the hand, you know, saying, don't cross because the light for traffic is, is green. Don't cross. Got the big hand up. He just launches right on out. And it was pretty clear, which is why he, why he did it. There wasn't any cars there. But up rolls all of a sudden this beautiful SUV. It's like a $100,000 SUV. And even though this guy in the $100,000 SUV who had to do something, I'm sure he's in a hurry because he's got to pay for the SUV, right? So he's got, some, he's got somewhere to go. He's got somewhere to go. And even though he has the green light, he stops way back. And I can see him through the window. He's just smiling. He's waving that older gentleman. He's waving that old gentleman off. Now, that man in the SUV has a belief system. And his belief system says that if I'm nice to you, you'll probably be nice to me. If I'm in a hurry and I have the green light, but you know what? I stop, you're probably just going to smile and wave right now that older gentleman was a grumpy old man and he had his own belief system he had his own belief system and what did he do he's like move the car get out of the way just like that it was like selling the guy in the suv you're an idiot would you just move the car and get out of the way and it was really bad now what happens when that happens window comes down middle finger comes out That's what happens, right? Something that could be a great moment turned into a really bad moment. I'm watching the whole thing unfold, right? What happened there? Belief systems are opposing each other. That's what we do. And we do it in our families. We do it with our friends. Of course, we do it on social media. I mean, we just do it everywhere. Whether it's on a big level or on a small level, when belief systems oppose each other, there is a clash. And then you get to Jesus. Now, Jesus has a belief system. And here's the thing about Jesus' belief system, at least in the Bible, okay? Here's the thing about his belief system. It's 100% correct, right? He's got the best belief system of all, right? That, that's who he is. That's the way the Bible describes it. He's got the best doctrine, theology, law. He's got, he's got it all. Now he goes to the cross, 
because of false doctrine, because of a bad belief, because of a broken belief system, right? An immoral belief system. Egregiously, he's put on the cross for just loving on people. This is his perfect moment to set things straight. My question is this, everybody. Why did Jesus not pour out law on the cross? Why did he choose to pour out love, not law on the cross? Why would he do that? This is the perfect moment to set the record straight and tell them your beliefs are wrong. Why did he pour out love, not law, on the cross? It just seems incredible. It's so unexpected that Jesus would do this. You would expect Jesus to play the doctrine card. At that moment, that's what he should have done. That's what we all do when somebody opposes our belief. We, we play the doctrine card. We play our belief card, but Jesus doesn't. It is so unexpected. And instead of doing that, he's pouring out love. He's praying for the people who put him on the cross. He's loving and praying and forgiving the people with the terrible belief system. He's loving and praying for the people with the false doctrine. Why in the world is he doing this? It doesn't make any sense, right? And even at the end of this whole thing on, on Easter, on the cross, you have a hardened soldier who watches this whole thing and says, oh my gosh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus presented no laws, no beliefs, no nothing whatsoever. He presented something else. He presented love. And you got to ask yourself, why is that? We all have a doctrine. We all have a law. We all have a creed. We all believe that this is the way that you're supposed to live. That's why you're living the way you are, Right? You're living that way because we all have something. And what Jesus Christ did set off the most radical revolution in love that our world has ever seen. Because now the focus became love, not law. The focus became love, not law. Now, here's how the the Apostle Paul puts it. He says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ. Check this out. Through Christ, Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Excuse me. For what the law was powerless to do. Let's stop right there. Paul gives us so many scriptures. There's so many scriptures in the Bible. The law of sin and death? You mean our belief systems are death? You mean the law is death? It's powerless? Paul says that the law is a curse. Well, excuse me, wait a minute. The Bible's a curse? The law is a curse? What are you talking about? That didn't make a bit of sense. Paul says he had to die to the law. What is happening here? What is going on on the cross? And I want you to think about it for just a second, everybody. Doctrine divides. Your belief system divides. The way you believe about life If that's the most important thing to you, it is going to divide, 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 and eventually lead to death. Okay? Doctrine divides. Now, let me take a second here and just say this. Uh, You've been on an airline before. Flight attendant comes on the speaker system and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten your seatbelt sign. That's what's happening right now. This might be a little bumpy. Okay? This might be a little bumpy, but I want to talk about what the Bible makes really, really obvious and what we really, really obviously overlook throughout all history, throughout all biblical history, but the Bible makes it super, super clear. Like it's clear, it's crystal clear, but we overlook that and we fall back into the ways of death and there is a way of life. And that's what Easter is all about. And Easter's way is proven to be true. Here's the question. Do you believe that love, not law, is the path to life? What breaks families apart? 
What breaks churches apart? What breaks marriages apart? What breaks friendships apart? What breaks communities apart? Do you ever hear about two friends saying, you know, they just, they split, they can't stand each other, they don't talk to each other anymore, and they say, you know what? They were just too loving to me. I just couldn't stand it anymore. They were just so stinking loving. You know, our marriage, you know, they divorced. It's like, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. My spouse was just over the moon, just, just, just loving. I, I couldn't stand it. Churches split. Churches melt down, and nobody says, look, there's churches all over the world, and they're all over the world for a lot of reasons, a lot of different churches. But there's one reason, there's one reason in that mix, and that is they divide over doctrine. They divide, they divide, they divide, because doctrine is death. Our belief systems are death. Not saying they're not important, but they are death and it divides. Uh, so I have a belief system and my wonderful, beautiful wife right here, she has a belief system. Uh, Krista's belief system is, is that uh, at night before we go to bed, the entire house must be cleaned, particularly the kitchen. There are to be no dishes left in the sink overnight. It has to be gone. She can't. If you don't clean the dishes, you go to hell. Okay. That's, that's basically it. Now I have a belief system. I have a belief system and I believe the longer we let those dishes soak in that water overnight, the cleaner they're going to be tomorrow morning when we clean them. And we have two strong belief systems and they're, they're clashing with each other. So what do you think I do? I clean the dishes because I'm not stupid, right? Hell hath no fury. You understand what I'm talking about? But let's just say I was in a braver world. Let's just say that, let's just say I was willing to risk it. I was willing to risk the situation, right? And stand up for my beliefs, okay? We would actually, and you know what? Families, marriages, friendships fall apart over little beliefs like this sometimes. They start small, they become big. Okay, all right, think about that. If we cannot interject something, what is that something? If we cannot interject something into this clash of beliefs, what is going to happen? We're going to divide. That relationship is going to die. And what is that something? That something is love. Unless somebody is willing to interject love, hopefully both people, then that relationship is going to die. So here's the big question for the day. I just want you to think about this. Here's the big question for the day. How... Are we connected to God in a consistent, number one, life-changing, number two, character-transforming way? How does that happen? How does that happen? For all my life and throughout church history, as I have read, that happens through the study of the law, through theology, through beliefs, right? You want to get closer to God consistently? Law, beliefs. Get a right doctrine and a right theology. Very clear, very clear, okay? The question is, how can we experience this life-changing connection? Like God is real. The Savior is riven, risen. Oh my gosh. I feel so full of life. This is the question for today. How do we do it? All right. I want to give you some bad news first. Here's the bad news. 50% of the always church-going community, 50% of the always church-going community is mired in spiritual mediocrity. I mean, sometimes we're here and sometimes we're here, but our average is, is we are stuck right here. 50% of us are spiritually stuck. That doesn't seem very life-changing. That doesn't seem very consistent to me. That just does not seem good. Let me give you the other stat that becomes really, really clear. For people who always go to church and for people who never go to church, their character is the same. There's pretty much no difference in character. So how do we experience a consistent, life-changing, character-transforming 
relationship God? How do we experience the risen Savior? How, did, how does that happen? Now, when I read those stats years ago, like I, I, these, these go back 30 years. And when I first read these, and there's been more studies on this, you know, I immediately thought, well, they would have a consistent relationship with God that is spiritually on fire and their character would be transformed if they just had the right doctrine. If they just believed the right way. Like if they would stop going to that church over there and go to that church over there, man, everything's going to be okay. If they just believe like me, then they'd be on fire for God. And you say, well, John, are you on fire for God? Well, no, but if I adhered, if I adhered to my belief system, if I actually practice what I believe, I believe the right thing. I believe the right thing. You all just need to believe like I believe, okay, and then follow it. I do and I don't and blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. Now, I want to say this uh, real quick. Doctrine and theology are vital and necessary. Doctrine and theology are vital and necessary. I need, I'm asking you to do me a great favor today. If you will please repeat vital and necessary with me. It will save me some emails. Uh, it, will, it will save me some social media posts. Hey, I went to this church on Easter Sunday and the pastor got up and said, doctrine doesn't matter. Okay, I'm trying to save myself, okay? So could you just say vital and necessary with me when I give you the one, two, three? Doctrine and theology are one, two, three, vital and necessary. Thank you, thank you. That'll help. That'll wake the people up who were sleeping. It's like, oh, okay, all right, it's all good. All right, here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. Doctrine and theology are not the answer. They're not the answer to our question. Our question is, how do you have a consistent relationship with God? It's life-changing and it's character transforming. How does that happen? And doctrine, theology, your belief system, my belief system is not how it happens. And that's scientifically true. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. And that's why the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb is changing the world and has been for 2,000 years. And we should put our full trust in it. And I want to try to prove that in the next few moments. All right. Do you think that my doctrine and theology is 100% correct? Of course you don't. I don't either. I don't even agree with myself. Okay. The way I agree, I believe 20 years ago and 10 years ago is different than I believe today. And that's a good thing. It shows that I'm growing. It shows that I'm growing. If you're never wrong, like the Bible by itself says you can never plumb the depths of it. And if you can't plumb the depths of it, then how in the world could we have a, a perfect belief system that's 100% correct? Only God has that. So here's the thing. I'm not God. There's no way that any church, any person, any pastor, any theologian in the world has a 100% perfect doctrine. They can't have it because none of us are God. It's not going to happen. Here's the good news. Jesus tells us the path to life. He tells us the path to Easter. He tells us how to resurrect our own lives so that we can live a vibrant life and not live this boring, dull, anxious, all those kind of bad things that happen. Kind of like He tells us how to really, really live. Now look what Jesus says. He says it like this. Somebody comes up to him and they say, hey, teacher. This person says, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's what we want. We want eternal life. We want life to just be full, vibrant. We want it to be awesome. That's what, that's what we want out of life. Salvation, eternal life, living, living life to the fullest, living your best life possible. That's what we want. That's what he's saying. How do I experience some of that? So Jesus says to him, he says, hey, tell me what the law is. Tell me, tell me how you understand the Bible. Tell me what do you think it's saying? He says, here's what it says. is to love God and to love others. In other words, how I experience eternal life, how I experience a life to the fullest is to love. Love, 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 love. That's how I do. And Jesus says to him, he says, Jesus, 
What does the Bible say? How do you interpret it? Love God, love others, he says. He says, then Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. You got to have the right doctrine. He says, you have answered. Love is the answer to the question. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you're going to live. But the guy wanted to see, it bothered him. It bothered him. You got to get some belief in there. You got to get some doctrine in there. You got to make, because doctrine, our doctrine makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we can roll down the window and pull out our middle finger to other people, right? That's what we do, right? So Jesus, you answered right. But he said, the man wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is that? And then Jesus launches into this parable that's really famous. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. He launches in this parable. Now, who are the Samaritans to the Jewish people, everybody? I'll tell you exactly who the Samaritans are. They're the people with bad theology. They're the people with false doctrine. They're the people who have a broken belief system and it's immoral and it's wrong and it's terrible. And the Jewish people disdained them and the Samaritans disdained the Jewish people because there was a, there was a belief system conflict. What do we do? Okay, Jesus, what do we do? Jesus, here's what you need to do. And you take that Samaritan who you are opposed to, who has the wrong doctrine, has the worst doctrine, the worst belief in the world. They believe wrong about everything. Religiously, politically, they believe wrong. And here's what you do to them. You just need to pour love on them. You need to love them like there's no tomorrow. You need to pray for them. You need to spend money on them. They, they, they get hurt. You need to take your time, energy, and money and heal their wounds and put them up in a hotel. He tells this great story. Is that how we react to people who have opposing belief systems to us? Jesus says you need to pour love, not law, on that person. Now, Jesus makes this so clear in John 13. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, I need you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know, everyone will know, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What is Jesus saying to us as a Christian church? That we need to be famous for love. Famous for love. He makes it so clear right there. We need to be famous for love. Now, here's the problem. Every poll that I've ever read for the past 30 years that I've been in ministry, every poll, every survey says it this way, that the Christian church is famous for law. I've never seen one poll, one study, one survey that says we're famous for love. It says we're famous for law, beliefs, doctrines, rules, all of those things. That's what it says. And what does that indicate to us? Well, the problem started back in Genesis chapter one and two, but what does it say to us? We keep falling back on doctrine, thinking that that's gonna be the answer about how we convert our own lives and how we convert the world. But God calls us to be famous for love. Every email Every question that people have stopped me and asked, hey, Pastor John, hey, Pastor John, is X, Y, and Z a sin? Hey, Pastor John, are those people over there, you know, are they going to hell? No one asks, hey, Pastor John, am I going to hell? No one asks that question. But <laughs> what we want to know is, is that person over there, every question I've ever received, I've never had a question, I've never had an email, hey, Pastor John, talk to me about love. Because that's the greatest thing of all, right? Talk to me about every, every question I've ever received. And you know what? I do it too. I do it too. That's the first thing I look for. And therein lies the problem. And this is why we're spiritually stuck. And this is why we're not experiencing life change. And this is why our character is not being transformed. I've been to college and I've been to seminary. It's awesome because the two are kind of kind of the same thing, kind of the same thing. I went to the same theology classes. I never had a class on love, but I had theology one, two, three, for all kinds of doctrine classes. Systematic theology is what we call it. And you know what I remember? I remember the systematic theology professor saying, hey, look, just as we get into this, as we get into this, you know, teaching all these classes, I just need you to know there's no systematic theology in the Bible. And that always stuck with me. 
Why wouldn't there be a systematic theology in the Bible? We human beings have turned a systematic theology into the Bible. One does not exist. Why would that be? Because we are drawn to beliefs because they make us feel powerful because then we can pull out our middle finger and show it to somebody. That's what takes place. Now, look at what the Bible says about this, about love, how important love actually above all be loving. It doesn't say above all be, uh, be a lawyer, okay? It says above all be, be loving. It says that love is the greatest thing. Love is the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing. You know what? That's First Corinthians 13. It's found in what we call the love chapter of the Bible, and it says prophesy. You could prophesy and doctrine, pure doctrine could just pour out of you. But if you don't have love, you're absolutely nothing. Whoa, whoa. Be rooted and grounded in love and that God is love. Let's say that God is law. It says that God is love. Now I want to end by showing you something that I think is really, really important. There's two worlds inside of your brain. This completely mirrors Genesis chapter 1 and 2. This completely mirrors Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We've explained that before. Let me just show you this, okay? On the left side of your brain is where law, logic, and language come from. That's where it comes from, law, language, and logic. On the left side of your brain is where you decide about things, where you divide things, the feeling of power. It's where doctrine and systematic theology, all that comes on the left side of your brain, okay? But what do we want? We want a consistent, here's the question for the day. How do you have a consistent life-changing, character-transforming life? How can you experience life to the fullest? Doesn't matter who you are. I hate church. I don't wanna go to church. Bible's stupid, okay? All right, that's fine. How are you gonna experience a real life? Science confirms what the Bible and Jesus demonstrated for us. And there's no doubt about it. So here's the, here's the latest science. The Bible said it 3,000 years ago. Here's what science says today. On the right side of your brain is where your feelings and where your emotions are, like love, mercy, and grace. On the right side of your brain where there's love, where there's love, that's where your attachments are formed. So you want a consistent relationship with God that's not, whoa, man. That wasn't good. Getting too excited. You want a consistent relationship with God or other people. You want a consistent relationship with God or other people. It happens right here on the right side of your brain. Doesn't happen in doctrine. Doesn't happen in law. Doesn't happen in your belief system. It happens in how loving and gracious you are. That's where it happens. Clearly, that's where it happens. Look at this. It's where your identity is formed. So you become a follower of Christ, right? Your identity is formed through the love of Jesus Christ and what he demonstrated on the cross, clearly. All right, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You love your friends, you spend time with your friends, that's your future because you're attached to your friends. Here is where your character is transformed. So you know what? If I just have the right doctrine, then my character will become like Christ. Nope, not happening. That's why Jesus, now all of a sudden, everything that Jesus did on the cross makes total sense. This is why law does not pour out of him, love pours out of him. This is why Paul says to be rooted and grounded in love. And this is why Paul says, I have died to the law. Have you died to the law? Have you died to your own belief system? Because you're never really going to experience life. Look, if Chris and I weren't willing to die to our own belief systems, okay, about washing the dishes, we would have a major problem in our relationship. And it could eventually lead to death. Because law, doctrine, your belief system will always lead to death. 
We are very strongly opinionated. We are very drawn to the left side of our brain. And that's all the way through history. And science proves it's true. And what Jesus Christ proves is true on the cross as he pours out love, as he's silent, as he's praying, as he's forgiving, is this is how we become attached to Almighty God and our lives are completely transformed. How are we connected to God in a consistent, life-changing, character-transforming way? It is not through doctrine. It is not through your belief system. It is through love. And Jesus Christ made love famous. He made love the focus of how to find life. Empty tomb. Let's look at this empty tomb. We got a picture of an empty tomb right here. Listen, um, if Jesus would have pulled out the doctrine card, the law card, his belief system card, this tomb would not be alive. It would be filled with dead bodies. There are dead bodies in tombs all over this world today because people said, my belief system is what really matters. Not going to work. Science says it's not going to work. Jesus says it's not going to work. The wisdom of the Bible says it's not going to work. It says love is the greatest thing of all. And that's why that tomb is empty to this day. Now, I want to tell you one last story and then we're done. Uh, The oldest uh, piece of scripture, everybody, that we have ever found, the oldest piece that we have ever found, we found it in 1979. It's written in Paleo-Hebrew. That's how old it is. The oldest piece we have. And it's from Numbers chapter 6. And it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You know what the word gracious means? It means unconditional love. God told Aaron, the high priest, I need you to bless the people. I need you to bless the people. And I need you to bless them with this. Tell them that I'm smiling at them. Tell them I want them to feel the warmth of my love. That my face is turned towards them. That my face is shining upon them. That I'm turned towards them. Tell the people who got down and worshiped the golden calf... And that didn't mean anything to me until a few years ago. And I realized the golden calf represents money, sex, and power. Tell the people with an immoral, broken belief system that worship money, sex, and power. Tell them I love them unconditionally. That's how we're going to transform them. I need you to tell them that. I need you to tell them that. Do you see God smiling at you? Here's what science says. I want you to look at these pictures, this video that we've got here we put together. Here's what science tells us. This is how a baby becomes securely attached. When a parent turns to that child and smiles at that child and communicates love and joy, that child is not anxious. That child is secure. Their identity is being, this is what science tells us. Their identity is being formed. Their character is being formed. They're not anxious. They become secure. It cannot be overstated how important these moments in the face of a smile. Everybody wants to think about this for a second. The oldest piece of scripture that God said that we should have is the fact that God is smiling at you. God is smiling at you. He's smiling at you with unconditional love. I want you to do me a favor. Can we all close our eyes for just a second? Do you feel the warmth of God's smile? I mean, is God smiling at you? Is that the picture you see when you close your eyes? Because no matter what we've done, no matter what our belief system is or how good or bad or broken, doesn't matter. God says, I'm smiling. I want you to feel the warmth of my love. And this is going to attach you to real life in an empty tomb and rising up out of a grave. Some of us need to rise up out of a grave today. And it's not going to happen because you try harder. It's not going to happen because you get the right belief system. It's going to happen because you experience the love of God and that's going to pour through you. 
For some of us, doctrine has been a barrier. You've never received the loving Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, because it was all belief, 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 belief. Jesus is not preaching a doctrine from the cross. He's pouring out love. Don't let that be a barrier. If you want to follow the risen Christ, the loving Jesus today, so that your life is filled with his life, if you want to live according to love, not law, I would encourage you to make today the day. Make the day the day. Let's pray. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his counts upon you and grant you peace, both now and forevermore, through Jesus Christ our Lord.